there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right. Hey, Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! What's up, everybody? What's up, y'all? Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Welcome on in, Wes Rucker and Pat Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Is it Pat now? Is that what I'm going by? No, you're Patrick. Sometimes I call you Pat in text because it's, you know, shorter yeah. and I'm lazy. But it's Patrick Brown and Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a uh, not too not too cold Thursday night here. But we'll be releasing this on a Friday morning. So hope your Friday morning is going well. Hope you're having a super weekend. And I hope this is the first thing you're doing for the weekend is listening to the Go Boss 24-7 podcast. Pat, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of my friends call me Pat. PB is another common common name that people use for me like I'm fine pe- with all of it like peanut butter and jelly yeah I'm, and yeah i'll decide i, I i'm I, I don't either one of those is fine i don't know i'll probably just go ahead and settle for patrick right now we'll go with patrick right or now. we could go outlandish and go um sort of like like day rig we could do like patrick i still like p-a think- apostrophe capital t I, I think since you're such a uh since you're such a a Memphis guy, I think a Nashville name like uh, Patty B's Hot Chicken might work. Oh, yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't I think I, I don't see the hot chicken thing. I don't, I don't understand that. Someone's gonna have to explain that one to me. Yeah, it's not ribs, so you don't know what it is. Is that what it is? It's not barbecue sauce, so it confuses you. <laughs> well, we have a we have a really good chicken place in Memphis. Actually, I have one here. Free advertising for Gus's on Sutherland Avenue. Yeah, since we still uh, have not accepted any podcasts because we don't like corporate overlords telling us what to do. Uh, but that means we can also just say things that we like, like, hey, Gus's Fried Chicken, delicious, Sutherland Avenue. Yeah, I've been there in the last couple weeks. It's pretty good. There's a little taste of home. A little bit. You know, speaking of, uh, speaking of things in Tennessee, I don't know if y'all know this, but, but Tennessee actually still has a football team. Didn't play in a ball game, but got a new head coach and a new athletic director over the entire program in Philip Fulmer, and that's been really, I, I think, Patrick, probably the biggest, uh, unless I'm wrong, probably the, the biggest story of this week kind of for, for Tennessee sports is that other than the recruiting angle, which is we all know is always an important deal. but Getting close to signing day almost. Getting close to signing day, and, and there was a podcast later in this podcast you're going to hear a talk that I had with another coworker of ours, Danny Parker, who does a great job uh, with recruiting, helping out Ryan Callahan and that crew. We'd like to, talk, we'd like to call Danny Roast Beef. Yeah, he's roast beef, or just beef, alternately, whichever one you prefer. But we'll have that conversation uh, with Beef Parker here, Roast Beef Parker, uh, before we get out of here, and then we'll get back to Patrick and I at the end, and we'll do uh, some questions, questions that y'all have uh, sent us in via you know email slash on the GoVols 24-7 checker board slash Twitter slash social media, other alternate things. I don't think we have. I think we have an Instagram account, but we never really use it. We're kind of an Insta-ghost. As they call it. Well, it took us till the day to realize that our Twitter banner was Derek Barnett. I'm come here. Oopsie. I just happened to notice that as I was tweeting from the staff account. We're gonna work on that. We're we gonna... changed it already. It's 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 now Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, which is a good segue, I guess. We're gonna get that one. We're gonna get that one fixed for you. But speaking of guys who also were not on the Tennessee football team for most of last season, uh, Juwan Jennings. That was sort of the. 
I still think probably the biggest news item of the week is uh, one of my uh, best friends, Jason it's Swain. It's he, the news item of every week. Now. Yeah, basically, Swain went on, uh, former Philip Fulmer went on Jason Swain's radio, de- delightfully good radio program, the Swain Event, every morning here in Knoxville, and Philip Fulmer joined him and talked about a lot of interesting things, I thought. You know, th- those two you can tell, you know, he Swain played for Fulmer and – you know, they, they get along, and Swain's always kind of looked at Philip as another kind of father figure. So it's good, cool to kind of see some of that chemistry that those two had on air. Obviously, they go way back. so uh, And they had a lot of good things that they brought up in that conversation. Uh, we'll get to all of those things. But first off, I guess, is that Jawan Jennings is uh, going possibly to anger management classes. That's part of his uh, – part one of the stipulations for his potential return to the Tennessee football program. We don't know what all of the particulars are, uh, but we do know that uh, he's going to take some anger management classes, and there's going to be a lot of people who think that's just PCBS. But knowing Juwan Jennings like I know him, I, I think that's probably a pretty good thing in his case. Yeah, and it was, it, it's been refreshing to listen to Former. He's done some radio interviews uh, around town the last couple of days. We have not got a chance to talk to him ourselves. We're still waiting on, on that call, but – uh, it, uh, it, it wasn't on Swain. I'll <coughs> get to that, Tennessee. <laughs> it's our turn. Uh, uh, it was another show where he basically was like, uh, you know, Juwan has the chance to do this, but his history has shown that he's not able to do it, <laughs> which was really blunt and really kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, he's not wrong to say that. Um, he can push some buttons. He's an old football coach. Yeah, he knows so, how I mean, to push the buttons. It's refreshing to hear coaches and, and ADs like kind of talk with some semblance of honesty. Um, and not be like politicians where they talk for two minutes without saying anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 clear that the ball is in Jawan's court at this point. What we don't really know is what is his involvement with the team right now. Like, is he going through workouts? It's my impression that he's not. Yeah, that's I, I can't tell you so that I, with 100% certainty, but my my impression right now is that he hasn't been doing that. So the question now is, is what is his first, I mean, what is the checkpoint? Where where Where's the point we're going to reach where, okay, he's going to, be with the team. He's going to be doing workouts. He's going to do spring practice. Where, where is that point for, for Jawan and his family and for and for Jeremy Pruitt and, and his program? Where, where, where is the not the finish line necessarily? Because this is going to be an ongoing thing until sure. Jawan plays and then leaves. And if he's on campus, he's going to be working out. Whether that's he's following, he's going to the T Rex and doing his own kind of thing. T Rex was the that was. The, place is awesome that's it's one of the nicer kind of student oh, yeah. student health centers kind of in the country i think uh, it's a really nice place but i mean will he be going uh will he have access to the tennessee weight room but just not be able to work out with the team there's yeah. a lot of particulars that we don't know but he's still would, probably doing some rehab as well with his wrist yeah he, he'd have to be i would imagine because it's not been that long really since the injury so uh, there's a lot of moving parts to that but it's pretty clear that he's going to be given a chance to earn his way back and I like the anger management part of it because while part of Juwan Jennings being being the dog means that sometimes he's going to have to vent a little bit. That's kind of what a dog's going to have to do. But uh, you can't just pop off at the mouth every time you don't like the way something goes. Uh, you have to have some respect for authority figures. There are some things there that it's a two-way street, and I think that if you – give a firm hand to Juwan Jennings and you're fair to him, I think that he will respond to that. I really do. I think there was just a huge disconnect with the previous staff. He was able to, you know, he was kind of like us in a way. He had that BS filter and uh, just just was not buying it. And uh, he, he's the kind of guy that if you're not real with him, uh, he's going to see right through that. So yeah. he, he's, he's not going to be a guy who, who tolerates that, I don't think. So 
I'm, I gl- I'm glad to see the anger management's part of this. I would imagine there's obviously the, I would imagine drug testing is probably part of it and, you know, certain GPA, certain classroom attendance goals. I, I would imagine, you know, uh, some, some maybe even some community service type projects or something. I would imagine that there's a pretty long list of things he's going to have to do. Yeah, and, and kind of going on back to, to what I mentioned earlier, can Juwan pull this off? I think at the end of the day, Juwan needs football. He needs he needs Tennessee's program. And I think yes. at the end of the day, when, when push comes to shove, this coaching staff is probably going to look at this roster and be like, that guy can help us. Yes. He and, would help any team, I think. Yeah, and, and I got a question on a, in my chat, in my weekly chat that I do on Wednesday afternoons about if he's back, would he be a safety? I th- he's going to be a wide receiver if he's back. I think so, too. Um, so let's let's go ahead and get that out of the way. But, um, again, he's a guy that, you know, how strict is this list going to be? If you give him – if he has to have a, a 3.5 GPA in the classroom this first semester, what if he's at, like, a 3.4? Are you going to are you gonna bend that? Are you – you know, that's that's the thing. That's what we don't really know, and that's why it was interesting to hear that. Might my, 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 my check on that after spring practice and see what the uh... – That's what I'm saying. Like, that, we don't we, – we, you know, we don't know when, like, the, the, the checkpoint is where, like, okay, if he's done all of this stuff by this time, he's back on the team on this date. So we don't, that's what we don't really know. We know he's sort of, like – in limbo right now yeah that's that's probably a fair way to put it but that's the latest that we have on that is uh that that and the guess the new development is like you know you want him to be him on the field yes but as you mentioned he can't he can't act a fool correct and if someone if someone tells on, you know off the field sometimes if a if an authority figure tells you to jump you have to grit your teeth bare it and say how high that's uh, just yeah. kind of what you have to do so you can't you can't just pop off all the time, and I would imagine that uh, there will be some social media courses in that too. Or restrictions uh, potentially. And, and, and I, I love the candidness from Philip Fulmer in that interview, interview saying that you know uh, we in the media obviously are trying to to publish a lot of these things. Now we don't publish everything we hear because my goodness, that would no one does that. But there are some things that we think if the public needs to know it, we're going to bring it to the public. That's our job. But Philip Fulmer said, and, and, I, and I don't disagree with him that. Some of these things are much easier to manage if you keep them in house. And well, Jawan Jennings has well, Jawan Jennings is a big part of the reason why this thing has not been able to stay in house because he he can be so demonstrative and he went on social media with his rant there at the end and and you know th- there's a reason why we didn't get to talk to him a lot. I mean, th- there's there's some things there that needed to be adjusted, some growing up that needed to happen. And uh, Fulmer was candid and said, listen, a lot of this is Jawan's own fault because not only is are these his actions, uh, he's then taking them public. And, you know, he, he's taking it outside the family, so to speak. And, and when you do that, you put yourself in a situation where it's out there. You, you can't – things are so much easier to manage when they're not being – discussed by the 800 member media core that covers Tennessee, you know, it just makes it easier. And even, you know, even going beyond the, the media core that's here, there's obviously a lot of media attention, a lot of outlets and websites in Knoxville that are, you know, that, that make their hay on the ins and outs of Tennessee football, but you've also got a really passionate, active fan base on social media as well. Hashtag vault Twitter. And some, you know, some of those folks aren't like, they have no, like, I don't want to say filter, but like, we hear stuff, but we don't report everything we hear. They're That's, not. They're not going to go verify yeah. everything through the proper channels. Yeah. and they're, and they're, they're not, just going to throw it out there on Twitter. It happens. We've seen it before. There's even some people that are pseudo media that that do that. Oh yeah, because it, it's it, it's it, this is an art, not a science. There are times where all of us, and we have discussions as staff, and we say, listen, 
we're about 99.9% sure this has happened. Do we need to report this? And a lot of the times the answer candidly is yes. We need to, the public needs to know this. But there are some situations where we go, I don't know that there's a benefit really. I I think there might be more negatives than positives if that gets out there. Let's just, if it happens again, we'll say something, but... You know, the public doesn't need to know every single thing all the time. No, they don't. You know, there there has to be some sort of privacy within a team. There has to be some sort of privacy within that family. Now, if it becomes a, a matter of public, uh, the, the public needs to know, well, then every time I'm going to write that and, and, you know, damn the consequences. But a lot of the times there are things that if you will just, you know, just a guy's having an attitude problem, a guy's missed some classes, you know, a guy failed a drug test for the first time. That doesn't necessarily need to be broadcast to the world. You, you can There's, keep that yeah, stuff in house. Scuff, scuffles in practice. That's, yeah, that's go, pretty standard. Go stuff, run some honestly. stairs and get over it. You know, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. But when, when you take things to the public yourself, you complicate that thing for yourself. So that that's something that Jawan Jennings quite clearly uh, needs to work on. But there were other things that I think were interesting from that Philip Fulmer interview too. Uh, I'm not going to say that the uh, that the smoky gray jerseys are are going the way of the dodo, but boy, it sure seemed like listen to Phil Fulmer, he he and Jeremy Pruitt. From what we've heard about both guys, I don't know that they're going to love this. I, I don't know that they the, this is something they that they want to keep going necessarily. Yeah, and I, I think Fulmer. Um, I think he he again. I think he his answer was really good because uh, first, first of all, he called. Uh, Pruitt, he's, he's, quote, pretty much a traditionalist. Hey, Tennessee wore smoky grays in the 1920s and, yeah. and teens. But then he also acknowledged that uh, there's sort of a recruiting angle, and sometimes recruits can be, I don't want to be, I don't want to say swayed, but, you know, recruits like their swag. Yes, they do. They like to look good when they play, and that's understandable. When I play pickup basketball, I like to look good doing it. I don't, I don't want to go out there looking like a bum. So, you know, is that... Are they going to go away? I don't know. I'm sure that's not really high on uh, on Pruitt's priority list right now. I'm sure there'll have to be some conversations with Nike as well about what they want to do, just with the jerseys in general. So I don't know. I won't go too far into this because this is something that I also talked about a little bit with Danny Parker later in the show because it had to do with recruiting. But when when those kids get on campus and they go into the locker room for those photo shoots, a part of their visits, and they get to pick what they wear – what do most of them put on? A lot of them pick, put the gray on. They put the gray on. There's a reason why it's there, and there's a reason why Tennessee made it an official school color to sort of placate the the traditionalists. Well, Butch Jones made it a, made it a thing. Yeah, they hey, <laughs> I, and you know what? Derek Dooley had the VFL program. Everyone's got their good ideas, yeah. and that was one of the hey, you know, kudos to you, Butch, on that one. That was a, that was a good idea, and Nike uh, came up with some really nice looking uniforms, and they were able to. If you're only wearing the thing once a year. And recruits and players love it. Why would you get rid of it? I mean, I see Pruitt still wearing those gray polos and, you know, pullovers that are about three sizes too big a little bit sometimes in some of the pictures. But, you know, he's wearing the smoky gray. But, but again, I think the new staff probably just, they probably had a a locker of stuff they could just grab. I'm going to be on the road this many days. I'm grabbing this many things. Some of those gray things look good, though, man. I'm I'm not, I I think the jerseys look great, but uh, I know a lot, Tennessee fans and fashion. It's always a hot. It's always a hot button issue. Absolutely. I mean, we posted a story from uh, with Fulmer's comments from from the show with Swain the other day, and it's it's like I think up to four or five pages by now. I mean, it's it's a hot you know, and there's another thread about you know what Nike might have said or whatever, and that's at least two pages. I've seen people like to talk about this, and I've seen two grown men almost 
almost get into like it got into like a pretty heated argument and I was wondering if it was actually going to get physical and they were arguing about whether Tennessee needs the thick or the thin orange stripe on the football helmet. Now we're talking we're talking we're talking about the the width of the stripe on the helmet and I almost saw two grown men getting into fisticuffs about this. So, yes, Tennessee fans do care about their uniforms. You're wondering why are we sitting here talking about this? Well, because it 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 matters. Uh, and because it was talked it was brought up this week, that's why. Yeah, and because <laughs> hey, I I am on team. I'm on team Smokey Gray once a year. I'm on that team firmly. I hope they don't get rid of them. I hope that that's something that they keep in the repertoire. Now, if a certain team decides that it doesn't want to wear them, then hey, that's let the kids make that call. But uh, you know, I, I think that that kids like their swag, as you said, Pat. I hope that they, I hope that they keep them. So that's yeah, and I hope they keep them too. And I think that Pruitt's probably going to lean on what his what the people that are going to be wearing them think. That's it, probably going to be the main thing to me. The other thing that the former said about this was, um, if I can find the quote here, I'm reading it. Uh, something that it, talking about Pruitt just kind of understanding the traditions, and Pruitt kind of touched on this at his introduction as well. About though he grew up in Alabama, you know, you kind of know what Tennessee football was at that point. Um, mm-hmm. know, he played at Alabama in the '90s when that rivalry was really at its best. Uh, and, and Fulmer said quick, about talking about Peru. Said, "quote He knows about the game maxims. He knows about the checkerboard end zones and those things. I don't know that everyone appreciates it or has appreciated it like he will and I do. So, uh, I think if you're a Tennessee fan and and you're worried about what they're going to be wearing grays half the season, if they're going to have a different jersey combination every week, I don't know that that's something that's going to be. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You know, that's you know, Tennessee's best look is still its classic orange and white." And that's what they're going to wear. And the orange pants on the road. Uh, I disagree with you on that. I don't understand why. Why do you have them if you're never going to wear them? That's what I'm saying. Why do you have them if you're not going to wear them? I think they're better looking. I think the year that the the Lane Kiffin was the head coach and they wore those orange pants a lot on the road, I loved them, man. I thought they were great. I'm not a big fan fan of the orange pants. Ooh, white on white. Nobody does that anymore. Ooh, fancy. That's like a baseball team yeah, with the road grays. The, wow, who does that? That's the cleanest look, though. Yeah, mix it up a little bit, man. Mix All white, everything. Reggie White wore orange pants. Reggie White. Reggie White, the minister of defense, got a lot of sacks. You know who pressured else a lot wore, of quarterbacks you know in orange pants. Wore orange pants. Who? Derek Dooley. Well, I mean, if you want to wear the orange khakis, I mean, that's just your own. The new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Missouri. He's going to coach in Neyland Stadium next year. And he convinced Drew Locke to come back. How about that? Uh, that was a stunner to me. That, that was, wasn't as stunning as them actually hiring him. Ask me about Locke's decision. Stunned. Stunned. But, yeah, that was – that's my only point. Wear the orange pants once a year at least. Come on, humor me. Hey, I was on the team bring back the uh, stripe pants for basketball warm-ups, and uh, Rick Barnes listened to that, and those have been really well-received. Bringing those back. If Pruitt pulls in five, top five classes and wins. He can wear pink and no one will care. No one will care. No one will care. One thing, though, that will have potentially a major economic impact on Tennessee going forward is the fact that Philip Fulmer, uh, speaking of traditionalists, and he certainly is a traditionalist, he is not a fan of the neutral site non-conference games. Now, I go back and forth on this. Sometimes I think they're really cool. Sometimes when it's like Tennessee playing West Virginia and Charlotte, I'm like, what, what is this? What, why is this a thing? Why is this a thing that happens? But if it's a battle of Bristol DL or you're playing a, one of the first games in the, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, I get that part. But 
I, I don't know if, uh, you know, does Cincinnati need to go to like playing some kickoff classic in Dallas or something, or, or do you want to go back to the home and homes, which Philip Fulmer seems to prefer? Where, where do you, where do you stand on this, Pat? Trick Brown? Well, the thing with, with these neutral side games is uh, the money that you get from them. I mean, Tennessee and Virginia Tech both got, I think, $4.3 million for the ballot Bristol. Uh, like it t- more. Tennessee could get up to $3.2 million for this game against West Virginia in Charlotte. If uh, they're getting a minimum of two point five, and then there's incentives for both schools in terms of uh, tickets sold for the game. So if it's a sellout, they get an extra $700,000. That's $3.2 million. They got $2.85 million for the Georgia Tech game. Uh, I, some people say that you know, a university will bring in maybe $2 million for a home game. And I don't know if that's but now I don't know if that's for a a home game against Alabama or if it's any home game whether you're playing Indiana State or UMass or North Texas or whatever. Well, and obviously there's also the economic yeah impact of it too that and and Fulmer pointed this out in the interview with Swain that you want to have a good relationship with their city and state and I think that's why Tennessee under Dave Hart was maybe looking more for these sort of uh, neutral site games. You know they played a game in Nashville. That's a, again. That's sort of a different situation where you're trying to appeal to, to a part of your state. Sure. And you know, and, and I think part of that too was was this you know some of the tax issues that Tennessee was having. Uh, there were was, some standoffs there for sure. There, it was a ticket tax, right? Yeah, the ticket tax. Uh, so, like, the university had to pay an extra something on top of, of the ticket tax or something. I, yeah, ten- Tennessee's Tennessee's the amount Tennessee had to pay was a lot different from what some of their peers were having yeah. to pay. But, you know, also, when you're talking about a home game in Knoxville, I've seen different studies on this, but anywhere from like 35 to $50 million yeah, for big, the local economy economic, per home game. Yeah, huge economic impact. And in a city, you know, Knoxville's doing fine. Knoxville's not just a town that, you know, it's not like a Starkville or Oxford or anything like that. There's like a million people in the metro area here in this town. So there are things in this city, uh, and it'll be all right, but – uh, still, that's a lot of money, and I don't know. I, I'm sort of – I don't like to, to, to ride the fence, but I, I, I kind of like the idea of alternating and doing both. I think when a neutral site game makes sense, you play that game, and if there's not anything special about that game, then you go play a home-and-home, home and you go you know do another home-and-home home with Oregon or you know Oklahoma or Notre Dame, go back and play them again, or – you know, Ohio State. I know they don't like the Big Ten ones, but go play, you know, go home and home somewhere. Go back to the West Coast. Go go do something like that because it's, you know, it, it's still just four teams in the playoff and you have to play in the SEC, so I get it that it's tough, but come on. play. I, 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 don't, I don't mind going into somebody's house and playing them occasionally. Well, Tennessee's always – they've always been pretty aggressive in terms of their non-conference schedule. Oh, yeah. Especially one, when you compare – In the SEC, to, yeah. Especially when you compare them with the rest of the SEC. Now, a lot of – there are some teams in the SEC that you know they don't have to really go out and schedule anything because they have sort of a built-in uh, rivalry. South Carolina, Georgia, yeah, yeah, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia, you know, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State. You know, those teams don't necessarily have to do that because they already have a, another power conference rival. I know the SEC a few years ago made a mandate where you have to play another Power Five school as part of your non-conference schedule. And if you look at Tennessee's, they played Notre Dame. They did, you know, Miami when Fulmer was here. Yeah, Cal, Oregon, UCLA. They did those things and. More recently, it's been it's been the neutral side games. It's been playing NC State on a Friday night. It's been playing Georgia Tech in the new Mercedes Benz Stadium, and it sounds it, it seems like Tennessee was already trending back towards doing the home and homes because they don't have any neutral side games uh, lined up. And the earliest they could do one is 2020, when they already have a game with Oklahoma scheduled 
out in Norman. So that they're they I think they have an I think they have an open slot that season for a non conference game. But at this point it's probably gonna be a bye game. Yeah, I don't think you want to play more than one. And your and your and your eighteen and nineteen games are already set. You're already your non conference games are set. Yeah, especially because you don't know when the SEC might go to the to adding an extra game to the schedule in conference play like the Pac yeah. 12s done. I, I I like playing one tough non-conference game and then a couple of bye games that's that's yeah it's pretty that, standard that that's kind of the way i i don't think you want to play like murderer's row but i think you want to play one good non-regional you know kind of a kind of a non-regional game go play someone on the west coast something like that and then and then play your or an acc team and, and then play your your sec schedule and then play your i like playing one local fcs program per year i'm a huge fan of that because east tennessee state coming to Neyland this yeah because I, I covered you know utc football for a couple of years and i've seen kind of firsthand what just the financial struggle that it is for those fcs programs so i think you alternate i think you alternate with um you know you go chattanooga etsu uh, tennessee state austin p ut martin you know Tennessee Tech. You just kind of rotate and play those those whatever those, those six FCS. I, I might be forgetting somebody, but I think those are the six FCS teams in the state. Just rotate them every year. Play one of them and give so you know that that athletic department in your state once every six years gets a really nice check because uh, that goes so 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 far with those kinds of programs. Because you know the if you're a Tennessee sport that's not football or, or, you know, men's or women's basketball, you're pretty much funded by the big, the big three in, in some way. You're usually pretty much football, men's basketball. You're getting a lot of your money, you know, through them. Now think about that. If you are something like Tennessee tech cross country or, you know, UTC tennis or, you know, something like that, how much they need money too. And, and I think that it's hard for them to find donors and things. I just, I think that, if you're going to play those games, one of them a year, keep it inside the state borders. Don't don't be playing, you know, Sun Belt teams and other things. Go, go play an FCS team in your own state. That's that's what I would do. Well, they they've got ETSU this year. They've got Chattanooga next year, and then they're in doing 20, it a little bit. Twenty twenty, they're playing Furman. But going back to the neutral side things, if you're, if Tennessee's going to take one of these on, really in the next six seven years, they're going to have to they're going to have to move a game because they've got home and homes with BYU, with Oklahoma, and with Pittsburgh. So they're they're sort of big non conference mark well, and BYU I think allows caffeine on campus now, which is a major development, I, I, and that's going to make me a, a bigger fan of going out there. I think BYU qualifies as the Power Five requirement. I think it does. I think it does. Uh, I know Mississippi State's played them recently. Mm-hmm. So going th- for, you know from next year through twenty twenty four, you've got you've got your marquee. "Quote unquote marquee non conference game already set. They but can be moved if they need to. But that said, if you know if Bristol Motor Speedway comes back and is like, hey, we want to we want to do another battle of Bristol. This time we want you we want to play Clem, we want you to play Clemson. We'll give you five million dollars. Yeah, Tennessee's probably calling Pitt or BYU or somebody and saying, can we move this game? Yeah, they're like, hey, because uh, they've done that. You know, they did that before. I think it was was it Nebraska that they had a, a series with. Um, yeah. Scheduled for 2016. They had Ohio State one that they canceled too. I think Ohio, um, State, UCon- can- I think Ohio U- State canceled that one because the Big Ten went to was talking about they won nine games. And you have and a, did. you know UConn that one got moved. You know all that stuff. I so. think that one's still in the books somewhere. But it, I think it got moved, didn't it, or something? Or they bought out of I the, the. I return? don't know that they have set uh, as they were called in the Premier League the return fixture. <laughs> the return fixture. Uh, the the Nebraska one, based on something I did back in last June, is on the books for 2026 20, and 2027. 20, 
Um, now, the BYU and Oklahoma series are played, I think, three or four years apart. Pitt is back-to-back years. So that's, you know, those games, they've got those planned out. And if you're um, – their 19 schedule is also done too. They could have eight home games in 2019, by the way. Four SEC games plus BYU, Georgia State, UAB, and the Mocs all come to Neyland. So The mighty Mocs. That could be a nice little second-year present for Jeremy Pruitt. Probably worth it considering that uh, this year they have to play uh, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Auburn in, in a four-game stretch. Yeah, the SEC, the SEC really likes to get them right there in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, that, just like, that here you go. Make, uh, I can't remember. I think 2019, I think, I think Mississippi State's on the schedule. Out of the West. I think that's the rotating opponent. And now we'll see where things go with that Mississippi State program. That's going to be interesting to Bob see. Bob Shoup coming back. I like old Bob Shoup. I think Bob Shoup's a good football coach. I don't know that he and Butch Jones were a ma- match made in heaven, but I think no, it's a good football weren't. coach. And speaking of which, we do need to mention that before we uh, get out of here and go back to recruiting and then come back at the end to take questions. We're talking we, about Larry Scott. We need to mention Larry Scott now. Former Tennessee offensive coordinator Larry Scott is staying in the Southeastern Conference Eastern Division, Patrick. He's going to be coaching Anila next year. Yes, Look, think, of all, think of the coaches that are going to be on the opposite sideline next year. Derek Dooley. Larry Scott. Charlton Warren. Yeah. Chico, coming back with the minors. Oh, that's Utah. right. Picks I, up, baby. Can, can we can we talk about the the cor- <laughs> being a quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator, and having picks up as your as your hashtag? Shouldn't it be picks down? Because first off, you want to well, put... well, if your mascot's a minor and it's you know you got yeah, you got a pick on your helmet, but you don't want to. Yeah, you can swing the pick down, and you're also getting your interception number down. I think picks down would be better. I don't. I don't know. I think. I think Chico could could come on this podcast and explain it, but he would talk too too fast for us to understand what he was saying and keep up. His, his Twitter game is still the exact same. Like nothing. Ramey nailed it when he just said all he did was change pullovers on the flight, and then he just was like, "Hey, I'm still Chico. Who are we looking at now?" Yeah. Um. And so you know, I think that means that. Uh, and we should mention too that that Steve Stripling uh, is going to go back to Cincinnati. Uh, I think he, he's a coach, coach at heart. I don't think that whole uh, analyst or kind of that whole player development analyst thing. I don't. I don't think that suited him well. He looked kind of ill-fitting in that role. No, and he he was. I, Steve was a great guy when he was here. He, he was always very polite, interactive. Really, with really me. good dude. He seemed very down to earth. You know, most defensive line car, coaches are. They're gonna you know get up your butt if you're their you know if you're their players. I think a lot of those guys really loved him and played for him. Um. And you know, it's interesting that the guy that Butch Jones jettisoned off of his staff out of the defensive line coaching position got a job before the guy that replaced Stripling as the defensive line coach. I just think that's interesting. That is interesting. Brady Hoke is still one of the, I think, three assistants that still has not gotten a job, the other two being Kevin Beard and what, Walt Wells. I wonder what Brady Hoke is doing right now. Uh, Shoops at Mississippi State. Yeah. Warren and Scott are now at Florida. Uh, Tommy Thickpin's at North Carolina. I don't think they've announced what he's doing yet. So is Brady Hoke just? He is their tenth. I mean, guy. is Brady Hoke just like sitting in his house and just chilling? What's right now? Butch Jones doing right now, for that matter? Is probably, he just sitting in his house. He's probably sitting in his house on a pile of money, laughing. Would be would be my S- thought. Collecting the check, basically. Collecting the check. Yeah, act like you're get, trying to get a job somewhere else so you can uh, keep getting that that Tennessee money flowing in. You got to do nothing, man. Getting fired by Tennessee is the best job there is. Yeah. I really, I really. Because I think there were times that, let's call it what it is, Butch Jones, I think, did try to get me fired a few times. And it was like, if he did, it was like, do I get your, do I get like a buyout money like that if that happens? Because if so, bro, I'll sign it. What do you, I mean, do I get to sit around for a couple of years and do nothing and get paid for it? Yeah. Where do I do that? That sounds awesome. Yeah. That would be great. 
But we'll be back in just a second. We're gonna we're gonna duck out of this. We're gonna go back into recruiting, and uh, then Patrick and I will come back and answer questions before we get out of here. Well, Danny, it's been another uh, interesting week for for Tennessee football recruiting. I know the Vols are. Uh, in, under the new staff with Jeremy Pruitt, a lot of big-time recruiters on that staff, and they've uh, they've gotten only one commitment, I guess, in the past week. So we'll go ahead and get that out of the way first before we talk about some of last weekend's visits and this weekend's visits. But uh, kind of a, a sneaky good prospect that the Vols picked up there in uh, Jordan Young, a wide receiver who uh, is from the Atlanta area but somehow fell completely under the radar, and, and then he ends up uh, signing with or committing to Tennessee and everybody looks at his film and goes, holy bleep. And then he's a four-star prospect for 24-7 sports and a top 24-7 kid. So uh, really, really fascinating story here. Yeah, he's Jordan Young out of Heritage High School down in Georgia. He's kind of, uh, I guess, a little bit the old-school approach toward recruiting in that he didn't go the camp circuit. He didn't hit a Under Armour All-American camp, uh, the opening Atlanta, those type events. To my knowledge, he didn't, mostly because he's also a track athlete. In fact, he... Finished top ten in the state as a sophomore in the hundred ten meter hurdles in Georgia. At six foot two, yeah, in the state championship meet, um, and then won the state championship in the, in the hurdles uh, as a junior. So you have to think he's probably the favorite to win it again as a senior. So that's what he was doing while a lot of these kids were at camps and being seen and blowing up. And um, you know that that's a huge eval period for college coaches as well. Uh, going to these high school practices and seeing what they can in the spring. But some of these athletes that play other sports don't get seen by these coaches. So what they have to do, a lot of coaches, especially ones at at an SEC school like Tennessee, they want to see these kids come to their camps during the summer. Um, Not everybody knows about those camps. Those kids aren't just born knowing, hey, I need to go to Alabama, Florida State, Tennessee, and Georgia and camp in June to, to pick up some offers to get some interest and that sort of thing. Um, you got to have a ride. Sometimes you got to have money. You got to have, you know, the cleats, the helmet. You, you need some support. And uh, from different things I've heard about Heritage High School, that they've had a number of head coaches there during Jordan's time down there. I think three different head yeah, coaches. Three and, and that, four years. Yeah, that, that made things complex for him. So, um, but the long and short of it is, is that I think that if there's anybody truly blessed in the 2018 class, it's Jordan Young to get an opportunity like Tennessee in the 11th hour instead of having to you know, I guess go to West Virginia State or somewhere like that just because you were overlooked and no offense to West Virginia State. But, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we spent a good time in last week's football podcast uh, discussing West Virginia State football. I don't know a whole lot about them. And we decided that Knoxville Catholic's football stadium looked a little bit bigger than West Virginia State's. And and they were were some sort of yellow jacket or hornet. I don't know. They looked like they had the the mascot from Georgia Tech circa 1950. And uh, it was uh, it, it was interesting, but anyways, we, we we're all up to speed now in West Virginia State. So if if, if you're choosing between West Virginia State and the Vols, um, that that seems like a pretty easy decision. Yeah, and 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 really, I, I think you know, I and I said this to you guys as the staff in our group text. I think UT probably owes a little bit of the tip of the cap to our two four seven Sports Network for putting. Jordan not only up as a four-star prospect, one of the top 300 players in the country, 2018 class, I think about 48 hours before he committed Tennessee. I think it had we not done that and he would have been unranked, unevaluated, that sort of thing, it probably would have been a lot of bad PR for Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. I don't think they would have cared, but, you know. For yeah, the, Pruitt doesn't seem like no. <laughs> he cares about that kind of stuff. No, that would have been, you know, I just brushed that off and said, hey, we, we know we've got a heck of a player. I'm sorry that you guys don't, but – uh, but to Barton Simmons' credit and the, those guys at 247 that, that make those decisions on the star ratings, they 
they got to look at some film and, and boosted him up, and, and Tennessee's getting a dandy of a player. It doesn't sound like he's going to visit anywhere else before signing day. So that's uh, that's one where you, you don't see it a whole lot. A kid finds an offer from Tennessee. Tennessee finds him, vice versa. He commits, shuts it down. And, and then you and, look at this film and you go, wow, yeah. where did this kid – you know, I've said this before. If anyone – I think if anyone turns recruiting into a science or the closest it can be to a science, it'll, it'll be us, but it's always going to be an art and you're never going to, there's never going to be some set formula. that's always perfect. And guys are going to slip through the cracks. And, and you think about how close this kid came and came to be in like a, you know, an FCS or a, or a division two prospect. And you go, wow, like this kid in one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country, is a freak athlete. You would have thought that at some point an opposing coach would have called a college and been like, Hey, um, this kid just killed us. And if he knows how to walk and chew gum at the same time, and he can read and write and get a good standardized test score, uh, you're going to want this kid. It just seems like it's befuddling almost that a kid, this talented kind of goes through the cracks. Cause you watch the film and it doesn't lie. No, I think the comp that came to mind for me was Michael Thomas, the wide receiver for the Northern saints that really, blew things up for them this year. You know, a lot of Tennessee fans watch the Saints this year for Alvin Kamara. And, uh, you know, Thomas is that guy on the edge that I think he's got a chance to be a perennial pro bowler and uh, quite the weapon for Drew Brees. So that, that's who I think of when I see Jordan Young. So I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be that guy and going to be a first-round pick. I don't Those wanna... ball skills, you can't deny them. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very impressive. You know, it's – um, I, I do wonder a little bit about his game film. Jordan Young's, I haven't seen that. I've just seen the highlight film. But usually when a kid's highlight film gets to a double-digit number of minutes, that means he's got buku options to choose from. It's not like he's a 90-second kid because yeah. this is the, the five catches <laughs> that I look like a D1 player on. He's got all kinds of talent, ability, length. Uh, at six foot two. I like his wingspan. Um, he's reported a sub four five forty. You know, you never know about that sort of thing. But if you're a state champion in the hurdles, he can pick them up and put them down. So, so a very nice prospect for Tennessee, and I think he addresses a major need. I think they really needed a number two wide receiver this class to go with Elante Taylor, who's already on campus under Armour All American. Uh, so I don't know if they'll sign a third. Jordan Porter. Uh, Jacob Copeland, those types, uh, Tennessee's in on. I think Porter's supposed to visit UCLA this weekend. Copeland's supposed to check out Ole Miss. Uh, we'll see what they wind up doing. Tennessee put their name in the hat uh, with both those kids. So we'll see if they wind up signing a third, but they absolutely had to get a second, and Jordan Young feels that, that that need. Yeah, and for those who are wondering kind of where Tennessee is in the rankings now because there were some – there were some uh... – some 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 nervous moments there when people looked at where Tennessee's recruiting class was during the whole coaching change situation, understandably so, because you need talent to kind of get back. Uh, and I think right now Tennessee's ranked 17th nationally and 6th in the SEC uh, with a lot of room left to work, a lot of guys who still could join this class. And I guess that's where we'll segue now is looking kind of toward some guys who are still out there, some guys who uh, I guess will – in a minute, we'll get to some of the potential visits for this upcoming weekend. But for last weekend, it looked like Tennessee hosted some big names, and looked like it seemed things to go pretty. Seemed to go pretty well. I mean, it's rare to hear a kid walk out of a visit and go, "Man, that place sucked. I hated it. <laughs> the, the girls were ugly. The weather was awful. Food tasted nasty. <clears throat> you know, just whatever. You never hear that. A place like Tennessee is going to put on a show for you and, and prove it to his credit." has made some changes in that area on, on some things they're, that they're doing on visits and the, the way they're hosting some of these guys. They're 
they, they've made some, I, th- I think, some positive changes there. And it looks like they're with their relationships that they have, they were able to get some guys on campus, and things seem to be going pretty well. Yeah, and, and luckily for Tennessee staff, the, the, the temperatures got out of the single digits in Knoxville. It was actually a— Just in time. Yeah, it was a gorgeous day on Sunday when those kids were departing and outside for a little bit to, to check out the scenery around Knoxville, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, you know, a quartet of kids came to town— uh, a much smaller list than what we saw right off the signing period. So just those four kids, but uh, Treshawn Harrison, uh, the number one defensive prospect in the state of Washington, came to town, uh, checked Tennessee out. Oregon, good-looking athlete. Yeah, heck of an athlete. Uh, you know, I don't know where he plays. Probably wide receiver. I would probably put him in there with Porter and Copeland. Make it play DB. Make it play running back. Uh, well put together, young man. I don't think he's one of those automatic red shirts because he's got to put on enough weight so he doesn't get killed out there. He's not that type. Trey Sean's looks a well like put he could together. play special teams or something immediately. Yeah, six two one ninety, uh, really good size to him. Like we said, plenty athletic. Um, lives up in Seattle, so he's used to some some bad weather probably. But um, Oregon, you, you want you want some rain? I'll show you some rain. They got some rain. Uh, Oregon, Florida State, two other programs in the hunt with him. Uh, kind of a little bit of a long shot for Tennessee, but he didn't make that cross-country trip, check things out, told our Brandon Huffman a lot of good things about Tennessee on his visit. So we'll see what happens to him. Anthony Grant, uh, running back slash linebacker out of Buford High School down in Georgia, one of the best programs in the South, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. R- really turns out a lot of talent, including Austin Smith, Quay Piku, who's on Tennessee's roster now. Row that boat, baby, row that boat. Anthony's been committed for several, several months. Um, had not been to campus since I think it was the Georgia game. Uh, back during the season. Uh, so it was good for Tennessee to get him back on campus, see if they could solidify that commitment. Uh, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and now Florida State uh, have all climbed into the mix trying to flip him from Tennessee. Uh, it sounds like he's definitely going to be a running back if he winds up with the balls. Uh, he's an hard one to figure out. You know, He's one of those that says, yeah, I'm firmly committed. Yes, I'm going to be visiting somewhere else in six days. So he's, he's hard to figure out a little bit. But uh, – uh, Dylan Wanham, uh, staying in the state of Georgia, uh, Tucker High School kid. A lot of people know that that high school name, Jabari Davis, one of those guys that Cam Tatum came ba- from down there. Basketball. Cam, Cam yeah. Tatum, yeah. It's a heck of a you know, college-producing uh, school. I think he was an Under Armour All-American, four-star prospect, plenty of length. I saw him at the opening Atlanta, and Tennessee was really trending with him a lot during the – the first half of his, his junior year high school football, so I'm at the opening Atlanta. I'm like, you know, are you still considering Tennessee? He was like – Nah, no, nah, probably not really. <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> so I, I think you could add him to now a, a double-digit list of kids that are possibilities for Tennessee leading up to this second signing day that had no interest in Tennessee before this coaching staff changed. And obviously the philosophies changed and all that sort of thing on both sides of the ball. So that kind of augmented who they were going after to fit their needs for the future schematically and philosophically, but still it's a, you know, Dylan's a kid that I think had some interest from Tennessee and vice versa, turned it off. Now he's turned it back on. He doesn't like doing interviews. So he's a hard one to put a a finger on the pulse to figure out what he's thinking. Uh, John Mincy switching gears, another defensive line prospect. He said he might could play four, three defensive end, might could play stand up linebacker in a three, four. He had been committed to Arkansas for quite a while. Um, before he backed off that pledge about a week and a half, two weeks before he officially visited Tennessee, spoke to him, couldn't figure out what the heck he's thinking. So I I don't know. South Carolina, Florida State, a couple other programs in the mix for John Mincy. Uh, really thick kid, tall kid. I can see the upside, six foot four, six three, about 240, 250 pounds, something like that. I, I should ask what he what he measured in. Usually the way these official visitors, when they come to town to get – 
a firm idea and not just trust, uh, you know, like a 247 profile or something like that or Huddle Film. That, there's some embellishing on, on Huddle Films for sure. Yeah, but, and especially, uh, and Pruitt and his staff talk about critical factors. That's a Saban term and a Bill Belichick term that, that, that Tennessee uses now. And the critical factors are basically at each position, they, these are the physical skills and size that, that you need to have for this position. And, you know, if you're if you're a guy like Belichick and you have to work within the structure of the NFL kind of salary cap, you don't have a chance to you, – you maybe can't get a guy who meets all six or whatever critical factors. But if you're trying to recruit a guy uh, in, in college, you can usually do that. And what I mean by a critical factor is, you know, for a corner about six foot, you know, 190 – uh, with with arms X amount of length, and they have to be able to move, uh, you know, four or five or so. And if you don't click off those criteria, you better be so good in another area that you can make up for it because that's sort of one of the reasons why you look at Bama's roster and you see almost a cookie cutter. You, you know, you see it at a certain position, like the linebackers are all a certain size. You know, it looks like they're all 6'3", 6'4", you know, 240. You know, that that's just sort of the mold they've got there. Uh, and then you look at their their running backs and you look at the wide receivers, there's kind of a certain size criteria that they have and a length criteria. And so, long story short, Tennessee's absolutely going to get a very, very accurate measurement of these kids when they're on campus because Pruitt's up from that tree, and that's what those guys believe. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that. Uh, there's always exceptions to every role, and a guy that Tennessee fans, they've, they've seen his name for – about two months now in association with the Vols recruiting, and it's that's Elijah Griffin, you know Warren G's son out of California, uh, took an official visit to Tennessee back in December, just before the dead period, and and stayed around for quite a while. Came out of that and, and decommitted from UCLA. Not long after that, he's already checked out USC. We'll see what he winds up doing. I think he's looking at some others. Uh, Alabama's trying to get in the mix as well, but he's he's not one that's six one. He doesn't have a seven foot four wingspan. He doesn't run sub four or five, but he's just good at football. Uh, John Garcia Jr. is a recruiting analyst in our network, a good friend of mine. been working with him for half a decade now. He played DB in college himself, so I really trust him when he's evaluating DBs, and he loves Elijah Griffin. You know, it's it's a kid that I think laser-timed in the four sixes at one of the opening events, so that's... Laser-timed four sixes, not bad. Yeah, that's that's first movement, so keep that in mind. It's not always the same as ham-timing. You usually pull about a tenth or tenth and a half off of a 40 time to give you kind of a more of a general idea of what that 40 time would look like but it's either way he's not a freak athlete is what I'm saying he's not Isaac Taylor Stewart but he's good at football he can flip his hips uh, when he turns to find the football the timing's usually right he's got good ball skills just good at football and I think he would be a nice pickup for Tennessee and probably in the two deep day one because as we both know we've talked about at length on this pod, I'm sure Ryan's mentioned, mentioned as well. Cornerback is absolutely. A if Ryan mentioned, eight. I might not have heard it because I might not have been listening. <laughs> Staring into his brown eyes, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, looking at like, how do you? How is someone that white? How is it? When have you seen the sun? <laughs> when was the last time? And, and I, I picked up one time. I, I took the work. We have a work camera, basically that that we, you know, Danny's got his own great equipment, but the rest of us, it's sort of who needs it then, and we pass around our our camera. And one time I got it. And I'm pretty sure that was the highest number SPF sunscreen I've ever seen in my life that was in that bag. It was like SPF 8 billion. I was like, <laughs> now I get it. Now I get it. Something from Back to the Future 4. Basically. Yeah. I was like, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get that white? Well, now I know. 
But anyways, go ahead and continue. I just no, wanted to throw that out there. Well, I was just breaking down those four kids that visited Tennessee over the weekend. So that's, you know, just rounding out with Mincy. And that's, like I said, he's not, I don't know what he's thinking. We'll see what he winds up doing. Tennessee's in the mix, but with trips to Florida State and South Carolina still to come um, and probably a National Signing Day decision, that's that's one you'll probably just have to wait for, which, which is kind of cool for Tennessee fans. I think a lot of the hay's been in the barn the last couple of years and you know, back in the day, you know, people like me that always loved recruiting, you know, that night before that Tuesday night, you're tossing, turning, where so-and-so so going to go and, you know, uh, this, that, and other. But, you know, I wondered with the early signing period, what would it be like? Because probably 65 to 75% of these classes are going to be signed before the February signing period. But but that last 35%, you know, th- those kids are really getting a lot of attention. I don't think they want to commit to it. I think they want to take it all the way up to the signing day. So that's that's going to be this year. I think there's going to be a lot of kids that Tennessee wants that won't have a decision pretty firm or made, at least not publicly, going into that signing day. So so get ready to, to pop some melatonin on that that Tuesday night on February 6th before they sign on the 7th. Oh, I need melatonin every night. I've uh, <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, true story, I, I don't – when I was a kid, I used to stare up at the ceiling fan. That's like one of the most indelible memories of my childhood is every night looking up at the ceiling fan being like, why am I not sleeping? Why am I not sleeping? And so, yeah, I've pretty much been like a melatonin ambient kind of guy ever and, since high school. And for people that know Wes Rucker out there, um, it's hard to see him in person and not see a Red Bull within arm's length of him. So that's probably a bit of a factor as well with your, your sleeping. <laughs> Uh, no, well, that's, that's from this morning. I don't, I don't usually, uh, I don't usually consume them after a certain part of the day, but, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, it's like build up, build up, build up, build down, build down, build down. That's kind of the propped up by science. That's how I, I, I kind of look at myself where I've got like a pot of coffee somewhere. I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a weird guy like that, but, uh, this was, I mean, last weekend was obviously a pretty big weekend. Uh, for Tennessee, and this weekend looks like it's a it's a pretty big one too. I know that we're recording this on Thursday night, and so you know so much can change in recruiting so quickly. We'll release this podcast Friday morning, um, but in between now and and even in you know in all candor, uh, you know this this probably this part of the pilot's going to be played after uh, I talked to to Danny. I mean, after I talked to to Pat and Ryan, but it'll be probably half an hour, forty five minutes from now when we do that, and. It's th- something might change in that time. It's recruiting, but as of right now, as of when we're recording this, early Thursday evening, what in general, what kind of weekend is it looking like it's going to be for Tennessee? Well, I, the thing is, as of right now, what's neat is that the list isn't completely firmed up yet. You know, when we don't know for sure what Travion Flower situation looks like. He's a young man that had as far as I know, basically no football offers as of a month ago, but down there in that Tucker High School area, Tucker, Georgia, um, big-time baseball athlete, had signed some type of document to play for – Greatest sport in the world. (laughs) To to play with the Kentucky Wildcats. But to my knowledge, it was not a national letter of intent binding that student athlete to Kentucky. And I think Tennessee probably wants to figure that out before they host a kid on a visit or – even showing much recruiting for yeah, that matter. Could be an NCAA it, violation. Yeah, you, you, know. you don't want to pick up the phone and call a, a kid who's technically a signee somewhere else, and then somebody go, nope, uh, you're in trouble now, mister. But that might be a slap on the hand type violation, so I might do it anyways. But Would you actually tell someone like that? Be like, you're in trouble, mister. <laughs> if, if, I were if, if, that, if, that's, if, if that's how you, like one day when you have kids, if that's how you talk to them, be like, now you're in trouble, mister. Now you've done stepped in it. Probably that that or bigging, you yeah. know, maybe uh, Hoss. Yeah, 
Mister. Yeah. Or my dad rawhide was was usually it was a stream of, uh, it was like a, a really foul mouth sailor stream of conscious consciousness. That's what. Get over you play 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 play. I remember a comedian once back in the eighties said that uh, he and his brother thought their names were, were damn it and Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how they were yelled at constantly. But. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I've been told. Probably count. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times in my life my dad has informed me that I was actually a mistake. And he was like, you know, your mother and I had it pretty good until you was born. I could see that. Yeah. He's like, you know, you you were the only one we meant to have was your sister, and you see how that one turned out. And you have another brother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He and I were both accidents. Well, they had him at forty, so he was definitely an accident. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was reminded oftentimes. Hey, by the way, um, do you know that uh, that you were an accident and that you, you came out premature and ugly looking? Yeah, this is how I was raised. When? It's a house of love. Well, I'll get it back on track here. We're um, always on track. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to talk about how fluid recruiting can be this time of year, especially with coaching changes all over the country, uh, Nessa Silvera is a kid who tweeted on Thursday night that he is going to visit Tennessee officially this weekend. Uh, as of about three, four weeks from now, he would have been – one full year committed to the Miami Hurricanes. You know, it's, you're talking about a, a Tyler Bird kind of situation, maybe a South Florida kid from that plantation, Fort Lauderdale area, and the, you, know, you know, I think the current Miami staff isn't going to miss on a whole heck of a lot of those kids. And we talked about Buford High School and Anthony Grant. Well, Nesta Silvera plays at American Heritage, who is probably in that conversation for the best high school program in the South. St. Thomas Aquinas, right down the road from American Heritage, is in that mix as well. But American Heritage is uh, the school where Brandon Johnson, Tennessee sophomore wide receiver, played a heck of a baseball program. as were just flooded with athletes down there in Fort Lauderdale. Pretty impressive. But I saw Nesta in Oregon at the opening finals back in July, and the thing I remember about him is that they switched things up this year for the O-line, D-line, one-on-ones. Uh, so they had a platform set up about 15 feet off the ground for you know, parents and friends of the family and, you know, Nike employees to watch on one side. Then the other side was the media with our back to the sun. So we were facing the defensive lineman. And Nesta, I can remember the offensive lineman he's matched up against. If you follow him on Twitter, I think he tweeted the video. But he got into it with the offensive lineman, and they wound up going all the way into the media platform. So he's like right below us, a couple 300-pound kids going at it. Uh, They're pretty angry. You know, it gets heated out there. Those kids haven't seen – Kids from other schools in several, several months have been able to get into physical contact, and they're able to do that at the opening finals. And it's a lot of pride on the line, a lot of people watching. They know ESPN's filming these things. There's guys with GoPros on the field five feet from the competition. And, of course, all of us, all the recruiting analysts out there watching. So Ness is a kitty. He's fiery. We'll just say that. But uh, six foot two. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It ain't a crime. Yeah, six foot two, three hundred eight pounds. We talked about Coinus Miller, Coinus Miller, Coinus Coy. Uh, we'll just say Coy Miller. C Miller uh, <laughs> out of Birmingham, Under Armour All American. Uh, Nesta Silvera is a U.S. Army All American. I think both kids, height, weight wise, very similar to one another. I think both would have a chance to get into that mix in the the two deep on the defensive line at Tennessee, especially with Killam McKenzie moving on. Um, so it's, it's it's you have to tip your hat to Tennessee to be able to get kids like this to visit. Miller committed to Auburn. Silvera committed to Alabama. You know, these are kids just, just leading up to signing. Maybe they're looking for a fun trip. You know, just want to enjoy the recruiting process a little bit. Get them bit. on campus. You got a chance. Exactly. That, that's something I've always said. You know, and people say, oh, is it, they got a really good shot with this game? Well, if he shows up on Friday, he's he's at the airport, and they go pick him up, then yes, they yes. have a shot. You so. have a chance. You have him. You have his undivided attention 
for the most part, for about 48 hours or so, 36 hours. You, you got a chance. Yeah. I remember back in the day, not too long after I started covering recruiting full-time, Otha Peters was a guy that was committed to Tennessee for, for several months, seemed about as concrete as anybody in that particular class. He goes and takes an official visit to Arkansas, bada-boom, bada-bing. He's a, he's a Razorback. There you go. <laughs> so uh, – We'll see what happens with Nesta. Big-time player, though. I think at a position of need, I think we we agree that help along the defensive line, especially in the interior, is a big spot for Tennessee. You know, a couple other kids that they could help that way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you might could help me with this name. Otito Ogbanya, maybe? At Otito Ogbanya. Yeah, that works. Yeah, he, he's on the list this weekend to visit. Six-foot-four, 290-pound kid. I think he could also help in the interior. Um if Tennessee's that in a, size, he darn well better. Yeah, if Tennessee's in a three-four alignment uh, with with the larger defensive ends, especially in a run-stop situation, I think he'd kick out, play that position there. Uh, you know, in pass rush situations, I think he'd probably slide inside, play the nose, or technically defensive tackle if they're in a four-down set. It's going to be pretty multiple, I think, with this Jeremy Pruitt defense. So the, the, it they, is. They need some some giant bodies like that. Another guy that's in question as to whether or not he's for sure coming is Caleb. What would we agree on? Okachukwu? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Caleb uh, Okachukwu, I think. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Washington, D.C. kid, one of the better I like it better when you said there. it, though. <laughs> Put a little southern slang on it. But uh, St. John's College High School, uh, where Devontae Brooks played. Uh, Tennessee offered one of Caleb's teammates up there. But uh, Devontae, uh, you know, I think out of D.C., St. John's College, is probably one of the better high school programs up there from – it is, I've yeah. I, I've obviously, I think it's no secret. I spent a lot of time in in DC uh, when the fiance lived there for for years, and so I was we doing a lot of commuting and all that. So basically, I, I've seen some of the the guys up that way, and uh, that that's a really good that's a that's a good program up there. Yeah, so it, it's kind of like you know one of those that and like those Baltimore kind of Catholic League teams. There's some there's some you can get some good prospects in there. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if Okachuwu <laughs> shows up on Friday. There's been a lot of talk about where he's going to wind up. Uh, yeah, we're recording this Thursday night, so, yeah, so who, who knows? Nothing's final yet. Like we said, it's it's a very fluid situation right now, but you know, keep it locked to 247 Sports and go Vols 247. We'll, we'll let you know for sure who, who made it, and uh, of those kids that do make it, we'll, Ryan Callahan and I will do our best to turn them down and get their thoughts. And, Danny, before we get you out of here, I know you got to head on over – uh, just about three miles away to to, to do, shoot some pick tars tonight from the Lady Vols basketball game. But before uh, you get out of here, I want your thoughts really quickly on three things that have been discussed this week with Team News. Uh, your your latest thoughts on the Juwan Jennings situation. Uh, your thoughts on the potential of the smoky gray uniforms maybe being uh, tossed out by this new coaching staff and this new administration. And also uh, your thoughts on the neutral site games that Phil Fulmer has said he's not a fan of. Okay, well, we'll work backwards. Uh, neutral site games, I, oh, uh, you know, some of my better times I've enjoyed on this beat covering this team have been at some of these neutral site – well, the – Really, the the game at Bristol, the battle at Bristol, is probably one of my better events I've ever ever covered anywhere. Yeah, because they brought uh, in the greatest lighting system ever for that game. <laughs> it was pretty. The pictures impressive. were unreal. Un- everyone, like even idiots, could get really good pictures from that game. Yeah. So really good photographers were getting outstanding pictures. Sure. Yeah, and the colossal over the middle of the field, and you know, it it wasn't as loud as I'd hoped, but but either way, you know, that that's a special type of event. Um, I know why Dave Hart really embraced the neutral site games. Tennessee, I think, to be honest with you, just flat needed the money 
you know, basically almost broke compared to where they normally are in terms of funds and, and paying all the bills. And if you can basically make bowl type money back in August or September, whenever that game's played to start your season off, you know, on top of the national recognition, I mean, the Bristol game was on ABC and people talked about it for months that gets you out there, that it markets your program. Mm -hmm. It helps with recruiting. And then that was a, a special event that I think people wanted to see for a long, long time. You know, not only Georgia tech or excuse me, Virginia tech and Tennessee play each other, but in that venue. And I think that, you know, they did a great job with it. Um, I would like to see that again, but at the same time, I do like the home and homes. Obviously, it's not going to be near as lucrative as and, probably. And, and when you get those games at home, you're talking forty, fifty million dollars in local uh, economic impact per home game. Yeah, that, uh, if you're if you own the the Super Eight or the Olive Garden on Kingston Pike, you definitely want Tennessee to do home and homes. You don't want neutral site games. That's that's for sure. I totally get that. But I, you know, some you know, I, as much as I praise Bristol and I enjoyed being at the new dome in Atlanta this year, getting one of the first looks there from that field, an amazing facility, but. I enjoyed going to Norman, Oklahoma, Eugene, Oregon, South Bend, Indiana to see Notre Dame. Ber- I, Berkeley was a lot of fun too. Berkeley was fun. I'm um, kind of part hippie, so I had a great time <laughs> in Berkeley. It was neat. I wasn't very impressed with the stadium. Didn't even have lights. Uh, I remember the, the hippies were in the trees. Uh, you know, and you were right worried, and, 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 and they got around. They skirted the. You're supposed to conform to the 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 earthquake standards out there, but that's technically a national historic site, so it didn't have to. So I remember walking in, being like. Guys, what if there's like a big earthquake, like right here, and they're like, "Oh, then we're we're all dead." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's good to know. It's going to be a good weekend now. Now I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy getting into the stadium that day. Great uh, town though. We had stopped. We didn't really go to Alcatraz, but we drove by it. We stopped by, saw the Juan Marichal statue at Pac Bell Park, is what it was called at the time. One of the and three then, best new parks in baseball. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was Golden Gate Bridge. You go over that kind of slow, try and get some pictures, and then. Then you get up to the stadium, you walk up a hill, and everything really bottlenecks because it is kind of on the side of the hill a little bit on on one entrance. And so it's, it's just shoulder to shoulder with everybody. It's like Woodstock or something like that trying to get in that stadium. And it was kind of crazy, and I just had was, some in-and-out I mean, th- burger. Those were fun, yeah. I mean, th- there were fun places to fun places to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember Tennessee fans took over Eugene, Oregon for a weekend, and, and they were all over the place in Norman, too, and South Bend. And they've – you know, I, I think if you're going to – if you're going to play the home and homes, you you got to remember that you know, hey, that's it's a tough part of the schedule. And if you're Tennessee and you play a neutral site game, most of the time you're probably going to have more fans than the opponent does there, or at least fifty fifty. Um, but if you go back to home and homes, you know you're playing true road games in tough places, and uh, the playoffs still only four teams, not eight, and you're still playing in the SEC. So to me, that part of it competitively makes it makes it tough. But maybe they're going to recruit at a level now where in a few years nobody's going to care. So right. I, I don't know where I stand. Where do you stand on the on the Smoky Grays, though? I like the Smoky Grays. Um, Me too. I, I don't love using them two, three times per year. Once a year. Yeah, well, once a year. Um, I don't know if you want to find a common opponent like a South Carolina or Georgia and do it, but I, I would not do it uh, for Alabama. They uh, never that's, would. That, that's the one game I would never do it, but I – I like it. Um, I wish they would, you know, make some kind of changes, you know, because it is an alternate uniform. It is supposed to be special. It shouldn't be the same thing. But they've year they've in, made smoky gray an official school color now, so it is. And Tennessee used to wear gray like in the nineteen teens and twenties and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there is some history there. That's what I've always argued with people and saying, listen, there is history there. Plus, uh, if kids want to wear that stuff, man, you see it now. 
when you see these kids take pictures on their visit weekends, what uniforms are they usually wearing? Yeah, they're, they're wearing the grays. grays. Yeah, that to me that means something. So I, I don't, you know, they let kids do the photo shoots and they let them pick whatever they want. The guy's like, oh, I want those gray ones, mm-hmm. and that's what they pick. That's what they want to wear. So I, I kind of like it, but you know, I, Fulmer's a traditionalist, obviously, and, and so is Pruitt. But you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope that they keep him, but I don't know that they will. Yeah, I like I like the coach Fulmer's leaving that up to Jeremy, but I'm sure he's been in the ear, in his ear and saying, you know, I, I don't like these. You can do whatever you want, but I'm, I'm I ain't I'm, a fan, but uh it's your, <laughs> it's your your call. I hired you. You're making a lot of money now because of me, partially, but yeah. just whatever you want to do, guy. It's wherever, <laughs> it's wherever you want to do. I mean, here's this contract of yours. It's really nice that I got you, but um, <laughs> and all this money that you wanted for staff, we were just like, yeah, no problem. We just rubber stamped it all. But hey, if you if if you want to wear these. Uh, that, that, if you want, if you want to make me unhappy and wear them, that's uh, that's up to you. It's your yeah, call. If, if you go four and eight this year, you know, if you're on the hot seat and ride all the bat, I'd be the guy that would make that decision. But just whatever you want to do, yeah, you just, know, it's cool. And what about the the Jawan Jennings deal? It looks like uh, some anger management uh, classes have been in order. I know there's going to be a lot of people, especially in the South, they're going to say, "Oh, this PC crap." But uh, no, I I think knowing Jawan, like I've gotten to know him over the years, I don't I, I don't think some anger management is a is a bad thing in this case. No, it's not. Um I think I think he needs good people around him. I think there's a long way to go with that one. Um even if he is allowed back on the team, I don't know if it, if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I don't know if Jawan Jennings can get done the things that I would have him do between now and the start of, you know, spring practice and earlier mid March. I think that there's just not enough time for him to to show me that you can show that you just acted out of just pure emotion and really just stupidity and immaturity with the thing you posted on Instagram and some of the things you've done uh, beyond even that, you know, things he's done back in Murfreesboro and, you know, different you know, mistakes he's made. You know, show me you can grow up. I don't have time to, to coach another 16, 17-year-old type mentality. I need a leader in the wide receiver room. I don't have to worry about off-the-field stuff. That's a black eye. You know, I'm taking over this program. I don't want that, especially in year one. Show me you're a guy. And I think if it's me, I'm getting the whole spring semester to do that. And academically, I want to hear you're showing up to class. I want to hear you're sitting in the first couple rows. I want to hear you're doing your own work. You're showing up to the Thornton Center. I think there's a lot of things Jawan needs to do before he can become a Tennessee volunteer football player again. Any other thoughts before you walk out the door? You got any, uh, you got any final words of wisdom, tidbits, any, anything that we need to know? Nope. That's it? That's it. Appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> that was a recruiting update there with uh, Danny Parker and myself, although I can't really say that I had anything to do with that. That was mostly Danny talking and me having fun trying to distract him because I am not. That's, poor. that's how I would describe that. I am not what I would call a, a recruiting expert. So uh, we'll get to the questions. We've got a couple good ones from the checkerboard and a couple good ones from social media that we will get to. As always, we'll start with the checkerboard first. Got a question from BG Vaughn 95 Said, do y'all expect Keller Christ, who's a former Stanford quarterback, to transfer to Tennessee? And if he does, will he have a big impact? Uh, it's tough to say right now, for sure, one way or the other. I, I would say at this point, I feel comfortable saying that uh, Chris's interest in Tennessee is uh, outweighing the interest that Tennessee has in him. Yes. I think that that's fair to say. I, the staff's going to have to evaluate if they want to use a spot. I think it would count towards next year, potentially. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten a 100% answer on that, but I, I it would be how they counted it. Because you can only bring in 25 initial counters. You can only bring they, in 25 they, new players. They've stiffened the rules in that way. 
Um, and Tennessee used a couple of spots for this year's class for last year. I think they had a couple of blue shirts and Shaq Wiggins counted. If Shaq Wiggins counted for this class for coming last year, then I think Chris would fall in the same boat. So definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast. Uh, so if they're going to bring but, in but Chris... If you, they, but if you want to send questions about that topic, it's, you can send them to westwasright at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you haven't pulled up the podcast from June and we're like, yeah, uh, well, don't we'll, do it, Tennessee. When, when we go out of town for the holidays and we run a Greatest Hits edition, we'll, we'll definitely bring that one back. Um, but yeah, if they're going to if they're gonna bring in a grad transfer, whether it's Chris, whether it's the guy at Wagner that has been also been linked to Tennessee, that's it's going to count towards next year's class. And Wagner, I don't even know her. And that's... <laughs> And that's what the staff's going to have to determine is if, do they want to use a spot in a what should, would be their first full class mm-hmm. in 2019 on a one-year rental? Is the quarterback situation currently on the roster that bad? I don't think they know the answer to that question yet. I think a lot of fans probably think it it's might, that bad. It might because depend they on how well the O-line plays. Yeah, I mean, a lot of fans seem to be down on, on Jared Garantano and are saying, bring it whoever, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, they got, you know, Alex Thompson, the Wagner quarterback, only played two games last year. His only other offers right now are like FIU and Iowa State. If Tennessee not, not, was, even, it, not even the FAU. If Tennessee was recruiting a quarterback who was, and they were trying to beat out FIU and Iowa State for him, there'd be a revolt. And so, but it, because he's a grad transfer and, you know, he's not, it's always the other quarterback is always the most popular one. Oh, there's no question about so it. So the Shroud kid, I, the Shroud kid, whatever, he's like the best quarterback ever now. <laughs> They're gonna be like, oh, as soon as as soon as Garantano throws a pick next season, but that kid from California going there and sling the pigskin. So I, I I'm excited. I, I'm actually intrigued to see what what Garantano can do with some more adequate coaching and a system, a different system. Well, now Chico's um, not going to join the podcast. Sorry. Well, I'm not really even throwing Chico under the bus. Hashtag, just, hashtag picks down. I think the uh, <laughs> I think the offense from top to bottom was a disaster. I yeah. Don't, I don't think. Uh, I think everything in the program was has was stained by the head coach. Yeah, it was. Man, I wish that... In, in kind of continuing what we said earlier... Boy, we how talking, fun would it be to just have an unedited podcast of just... Guys, we're going to put the explicit label on this one, and we're going to take... We're finally going to... Uh, we're going to be playing Queens I Want to Break Free on a loop over and over again, and we're going to... Really, that'll just be us here, us here sitting and listening to you. Well, I, people like I was the only one. That's true. Now, he did come after me the hardest, but... You know, there there were there there were a lot of guys that were on uh, Sergeant McThinskin's enemy list. But we were talking earlier about some of the other some of his assistants that have landed elsewhere. I'm interested to see what Larry Scott is doing in a different setting. I'm I'm, I'm really in- interested to see what Bob Stoop does. I think those are good football coaches. I think they're you know I, I, someone asked me on the board earlier this week when I said that I think Larry's a good coach who you know probably shouldn't have been promoted to offensive coordinator. And, you know, he did some good things at Tennessee. And someone asked, well, what did he do at Tennessee? He did some good things. He brought in some good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they added some wrinkles to the offense, both when he was a tight ends coach and when he was the offensive corner. There when was he some, was allowed to. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't running his offense. You know, he brought in some different elements. They had sort of a decoy screen where they faked a screen one way and then ran Marquez Callaway across the field. It worked only, I think, once that they ran it. But it was a nice design. It's a nice play. You know, they, they did he did some good things. Some of these coaches have done some good things. I mean, Bob Shoup had top 25 defenses at Vanderbilt and Penn State with less talent than he had at Tennessee. Yet yes. at Tennessee, his defenses were always hurt and never good enough. Yeah. When you're, lo- so when you're like losing you, you your wanna best s- players, that's, that's hard. You want to see what these coaches are doing elsewhere. But getting back to the original question, I, I don't think Tennessee is going to take a grad transfer quarterback. I would be surprised. But 
we'll have to see that they he, it's still it, a fluid it, it, situation. I still think they want to evaluate what the quarterbacks they have coming in can bring. It would have to be someone who completely knocked their socks off. I think that that would be yes, that would be my answer. My answer to that. So now we'll actually this is a pretty decent segue. Uh, I know Pat's Patrick's normally our, our segue specialist, but uh, this is a pretty uh, pretty good segue here. If I can make sure I've got the guy who asked it, it was Mister. Uh, right now I'm looking. Who at, asked the first question? By the way, I don't think you named that person. Yeah, I did. It was BG Vol ninety five. All right, thanks, BG. But uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going through my mention here now. Somebody's betting me, trying to get me to bet him ten bucks. He thinks the Brewers will win the National League Central. I'm like, <laughs> and I give me your money. Uh, I'll take that. Like ten bucks. Yep. Yeah. I was like ten bucks. Why don't you go a hundred? Because uh, I know the Brewers signed Yelich and uh, and Kane, but I'm I'm not I'm not worried about that. But we got to uh, Sam Lewis is the guy who asked the question. He is uh, Lewis underscore O six on Twitter. Said, what can we expect from Darren? Kirkland Jr. next season? That's a good question, and I'll let Patrick go for us, but I think I have a pretty good answer for that. Well, first thing he has to do is he has to stay healthy. This guy has not been healthy for yes. a full year in two years. Uh, in tw- you know, 2016, he had the ankle injury, came back, but he was never uh, – the end of that regular season, he was not clearly not himself. And then last year, he tears his meniscus right before the season over. So he's got to stay healthy. I mean, you look at it, he's played uh, – what is it? I'm trying to do the math in my head. 11 quarters of healthy football? One, two full games and three quarters of another game. That's what he's played since his, his uh, freshman year. Yeah, and when so, he was healthy. Yeah, uh, you really like the the you know the combination potentially of uh, of him and Daniel Batuli as your inside linebackers in a three four. But at the same time, they're not going to play a whole lot of three four. Yeah, they'll be in the nickel most of the time. And is he going to be good enough to be the middle linebacker in the nickel? Because now that they they have a guy who could be big, you know better. In in the Dooley. Well, if if, Kirk- they, if they don't want to play those guys together, yeah. If Kirkland's healthy, I think he runs a little better than Batuli does. I think Batuli runs well, but I think Kirkland's a, a, a more dynamic. And there's uh, you know runner. there's there's a lot of you know there's there's some options there with what if if it's if they're going to be in the nickel a lot because you know do they want to sort of more box linebackers which Kirkland and Batuli are or do they want one of those guys one one is the Mike with one like is the Will. A, with with a Corte Sap who's a little bit more of a rangier guy. Now, I think both those guys, Kirkland and Batuli, can play in space. Now, you don't want to be covering a slot receiver, but the thing with Kirkland is he's got to stay healthy. What I, the, the potential that I like about Tennessee's defense, if you have him there, is if you are playing him next to Batuli, Kirkland can handle a lot of the communication. And yeah, whatever the defense and is, and the play he'll, he'll, he'll pick it up in no time. And Batuli, that's not necessarily his strength. If you take that off of him, you just, you're telling Batuli, hey, just go out there and play. Yeah, fine ball, hit ball. That, that's where Batuli's the best. And so if, if seek you ha- and destroy, if, yeah, exactly. If you have Kirkland out there handling the minutia, if you will, the communication of the play calls, and, and as you mentioned, he's you know photographic memory, smart guy. Again, all these guys have to learn a new defense, so they are kind of starting over. They're all sort of at square one. But um, if if he's able to stay healthy, uh, then he could be. We've seen him be good, but he's got to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, and and my question is, how much is he going to get to go through spring? Uh, I think I think he's going to be okay. I think they'll probably monitor him very closely. Uh, he had surgery in what late August. Correct. So by the end of February, it'll be six months, right? Am I, is my math right there? See, I don't know how to do that. It seems about right. So you're looking at nine months from surgery is probably where he's starting. Where. It, that it'll be around nine months from the surgery when Tennessee starts spring practice, if we're guessing. Yeah, I think, so yeah, t- we'll have to see. Yeah, Tennessee's new defense, basically, you're going to have a Mike who stays on for every down. 
because uh, that way you're going to be in the base and the three four. He stays in there in the nickel, which will be a four two five. He'll be in there and in the in the dime, uh, the four one uh, six. He'll stay in there too for that. So the kind of the mic stays in there all the time. And then there's a second big linebacker who I guess is the will when they're in the base. He will be exchanged for a nickel when they go for a nickel when they go into the nickel defense. And the question now is 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 who's going to be the guy who stays on the field? Is it going to be Kirkland? Is it going to be Batuli? Or uh, will it be someone else that we don't know? Will someone like Corte Sapp blow up in the weight room and become the guy? Will we, Ignat. You know, will Ignat. Will he, you know, an Alabama guy, will he Will he step in there and, and he and Pruitt will click and he'll understand the defense and, and go from there? We don't really know, but we know those two, if they're healthy, are going to be a big part of the defense and – I think the world of Kirkland, I think he's a good football player. I think he's a guy who, if he can stay healthy, I think he's got a really, really um, – he's got a chance to be a really one of the better linebackers in the SEC if he can be healthy. But he's got to prove he can do it. And now you're talking about that's a couple games that he's been out, a couple years that he's been out for, for most of them. So how much rust is there? There's going to be some rust. Look at someone like Which John, is why he needs to be able to go through spring practice Yeah, look some at, of that rust off. Look at someone like John Fulkerson this year in basketball. Like you miss that much time. It, it it's gonna it's yeah. gonna leave a mark. I mean, you're gonna have to get back. Now we'll we'll see. Uh, that's I think that's a pretty good question though, and I think that's I hope that we've answered it well. I think we have. It's a good question, Sam. Uh, I guess we will get out of here with this one. Uh, this is from a big orange boy on uh, on Twitter. Who would win a game of horse on the Goval's twenty four seven staff? I will exempt myself from this category because uh to be honest after the stroke uh, i had to learn to walk again and then i got back to playing golf i can play golf and i can mow my yard but other than that uh my body the two different sides of my body speak different languages so i'm not quite the uh, shooter i used to be so i'll uh, go ahead and admit that i would not come anywhere close to winning it but now between you and grant now grant calls himself a volume shooter Oh, he's he's one hundred percent a volume shooter. He gets it. He, he's 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 a catch and shoot guy. Now it doesn't mean he makes a lot of them. Maybe a little bit of a Philip Seymour Hoffman from uh, that movie where make it rain. But you know, I, I, what do you think, Patrick? You y'all you, play in the uh, pickup basketball a lot more than I do. Vegas would make Grant Ramey the favorite. In the shooter, think so. Yes, um, he's very streaky. Grant is in terms of a, a basketball shooter, and he's never met a three point shot he didn't like, and so. Uh, usually when, when he and I are on a team and it's three on three, four on four, and if I get the rebound, I'm immediately turning and trying to find him spotting up. <laughs> he doesn't really venture inside the three point line very much. Cause he's not really crashing the glass. Yeah. He, he's not, he's not really a max <laughs> effort guy on the glass, uh, or a max effort guy on defense. Um, and he gets this hilarious look on his face when he does drive. You really have to see it in person. I can't really describe it. It's I'm almost of, like a. Like it, a it can't be demonstrative, is it? Because Ramey has never. No, no, no. It, his voice like never a, goes it's above. It's sort of a like a giddy, three. like a. Pro, I, I would say it's like when a kid probably is learning how to ride a bike and they first, like, they got their parents holding on and the parents let go and you get it. You're like. Like, you're like, like smiling and exciting and you're like, you're not sure, like, what's about to happen. That's what. That's the look <laughs> on his face when he's driving <laughs> to the basket. I'll, I'll add which this. is why he likes to shoot a <laughs> lot. I'll add this to it. When we've we've had uh, when we've had staff outings at uh, Top Golf before, and shout out to Top Golf who also does not pay us a dime. But hey, we're just a fan. We're just a fan of the establishment. We went to two Top Golfs, and where did we go this year? Uh, Atlanta, I think we didn't. We go to one. I went to two, and then there was one in Florida. We went to also last year. We we've been to where in Florida. Did we go to Top Golf. I don't remember that one. Was it? Uh... No, it was on the way to Florida. I 
Okay, I went with okay. Ryan and Danny before the Georgia Tech game because Ryan and I went down there a day early. And then you, me, and Grant, and yeah, it was you, me, and Grant went when we were going to Gainesville because Danny was shooting J.C. Horn's high school game. Yeah, Danny was doing in Alpharetta. that. And we were like, uh, well, is there, there's a top golf near there, isn't there? <laughs> so, but the, di- right, the, the difference in my, my point is, I think in top golf's looking at coming to Knoxville too, and shout out to that. Maybe they'll sponsor the Go Balls 24 7 podcast then. But uh, regardless, we're, we're fans of the establishment. And the difference between Ryan Callahan and Grant Ramey in golf <laughs> is one of the most stark things. I, it got me so excited, I dropped my pen. All you need to know about Ryan and top golf is that. He uses the T that they put on the pads with his irons. Yeah, he he he's just t- like I mean, come on, man. And, and Ryan Ryan's golf swing is he has no shame about doing it either. Oh, none. And and his his swing it's sort of it's very Ryan. It's very consistent, uh, very 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 slow, but very very consistent. And he hits it straight every time. He, you know, it's I, going I, into the blue. Like it's I might going into the blue one in the same spot. Yeah, like I might hit my wedge as far as he hits like his five iron. But you know what? His is going to be it's going to be straight every time. And Ramey, the first time I saw that guy swing a golf club at Top Golf, I was like, "Holy mother of God! I would love to play on a golf course with you because he he just there's no there's no thinking. He just gets it and rips it, and just he'll put he'll put the driver up there and just whack it, and it will go. He'll either crunch it like because I I can drive pretty far, but he can drive it I think past me because he might have hit the fence at golf at Top Golf, and, and then he'll either you know swing and miss or hit it off the toe. But by God, his swing, I mean, just the difference in him and Ryan on a golf course would absolutely crack me up. We need to see this happen actually on a course because watching those two, it could not be it could not be more different. Uh, and I I would imagine that Danny is probably the same way as Grant, but I don't know that for sure. Because Danny's, you know, a former baseball player too. He can, you know, and, and, and he's roast beef, so he's a big guy. I, I'm I'm a I'm a decent basketball player, but I, I can't. I'm not a shooter. I have my moments, um, but I'm more of a rebound. As Wes hits his head on the microphone. I was looking for my pen cap and head on the microphone. I'm more of a defense rebound inside guy. It's like throw me the ball on the block and a grit. Get out, and get out my way. Grit grind. You're a grit grind guy. I'm. I'm I would say I'm sort of like Grant Williams. I'm not the biggest guy, but I know some moves down on the block, and I will take you to school down there. The up and under, spin moves, yes. all those hook kinds shot, of things. Uh, uh, you know. And Grant likes to refer to me as the, if you've watched Family Guy out there, there's the uh, guy named Big Al's. He's got his mm-hmm. wacky, wailing and, wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing two-man emporium. Yes. On Weekapog. Yes. That's what Grant calls me because I will tip, tip rebounds to myself and put it back up and – and it's it's I'm, I miss playing basketball a lot because I actually had a nice uh, left-handed jump shot and I'm ambidextrous so I could kind of I'm know, not ambidextrous so I could sort of you know score like with one hand either hand like on in the post and those things and I could I could shoot from the outside I miss playing basketball though because uh, that was and, and the one time the one time post stroke that I picked up a basketball and went outside to shoot it I took one shot and the first shot and I was a guy who once in middle school almost went an entire season without missing a free throw and the first one that I shot barely grazed the bottom right quadrant of the backboard. <laughs> and I went, yeah, that's good. I'm done. That's, that's, I was like, yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to go back to playing golf now because boy, that basketball touch is gone. So y- you think, you think Grant, the bottom line is you think Grant would win at horse. I think he might win on, but any given day he could, he could be bricking them. That's a fair point. I like that. But I guess, I mean, I guess horse is, you know, not always just like straight up jump shots. So you got creative shots. You know, half court shots, 
shots from the bleachers. The Tennessee players, a lot of times before they in practice, they play the glass game where, you know, you got to, you got to do like a spin move, like well behind the three point line and you got to bank it in and they go there and they'll, they'll spend sometimes a a really long period of time playing that game. And uh, last week it was one of my favorites because Admiral Schofield walked up and was like, man, I can do this, man. Y'all, y'all guard, y'all ain't got nothing on this. And the first one he did, he completely airballed it, and he went, ooh, I can't end on that one. <laughs> and then he went and did it again and airballed it again. He went, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> he was like, he was defeated. And he and, and, and Lamonte Turner and, and James Daniel and the rest of them, the managers get in and play with them sometimes. And it's, but Admiral's like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm, I'm done with this. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'd say, I'd say Grant's the horse favorite. That's fine. We'll, we'll have to, you know what we'll need to do? We'll need to get Grant's opinion on this too. Yeah. He, he will downplay his basketball skills. So that's He'll just downplay he everything. That's just kind of what he does, though. I, I've never seen, I've never seen the guy's voice raise above this level. <laughs> this is how Ramey talks all the time. Grant, you did a great job breaking that huge story. Yeah, hey, Grant, right. Grant, did you see that? Wow, Grant, your house is on fire. Okay. Grant, look at that! You just won the lottery. Grant, Crystal Palace is just won the Premier League. Okay. Well, if it's just, if it, if it's about a sports team he loves, he's gonna say, "Oh, they're gonna lose." He's very Ryan in, in that way. Uh, he, every, he's like, yeah, they're going to lose. They're, they're, they're going to lose. It's not possible. Hey, Grant, your team's up 6 uh, nothing in the 89th minute. They're going to they're gonna lose it. It's not It's not over. He's a Bears fan, though. you got to give him. That's probably the reason why. That's, that's a good point there. That's a good point. Patrick, any final thoughts? Nah. <laughs>